Welcome to this edition of Your Care, Your Rights, Your Voice. I'm Marie Painter, and today I want to talk to you about a new blast fax that just came out from the Department of Public Health here in Connecticut. This blast fax went out to all of our nursing homes, and it talks about an essential support person. Now, this is something that many of you residents and family members may have heard about um, and our advocacy related to during the pandemic. Um, there was a bill that was passed last year, Public Act 21-71, and it was signed into law last summer. Um, the Department of Public Health has been working with my office as well as the industry and some family members with input from residents about the policies and procedures and how to move this forward. We we're really excited this week to see this come out. So when I'm talking about this week, I'm talking about early April. The policies and procedures have come out. They've been released to nursing homes. So what I wanted to do today was kind of cover this with all of you and encourage you to reach out to your long-term care communities and talk to them about designating a primary and secondary essential support person. Now, these are individuals that would have access to you in your long-term care communities if there ever is a point when visitation is paused um, due to um, a public emergency, some kind of infection control issue, and that we're seeing the need for individuals to have access to primary supports other than staff in our long-term care communities. Now, what I want to advise people of is that this is a state bill. So as we saw with the pandemic, sometimes there are measures and guidance that are put in place at a federal level that supersede this. And so that's why it's really important that we continue to advocate at a federal level that we see an essential support person bill passed federally to provide those added protections that, again, we've seen here in Connecticut, and we want to be the champions for this and see it pass at a federal level. We will have this on our website, and I would encourage you all to go there, um, if possible, to download it or print it. And then, as I said, go to your long-term care facility and ask them to include in your plan of care who your primary and secondary support person is and the types of things that you will be looking for that person to do for you. In some cases, it is just emotional support. It's someone to sit with you, to talk with you. You may want to read together or go over current events. But in other cases, these are individuals that actually do help support the person in other ways. You may ask them to position you in bed. They may help with nutritional support. So if someone has difficulty holding a spoon or feeding themselves, the person can be educated on how to do that appropriately. Now, I'm going to pause there because you heard me say do that appropriately. We want to make sure that if there's any kind of care being given, that the person providing that care and actual physical support or nutritional support and feeding has been educated as to the needs of that individual. So if you're the resident, making sure that the person who's supporting you um, has been educated by either nursing staff or therapy, the best way for you to receive that support. We want to make sure that it's safe and appropriate. Um, if you're a family member and maybe the resident you're supporting can't tell you 
the best and most appropriate way. Uh, making sure that you're asking for support from the long-term care community to provide you with that education and that it is signed off on and all part of the plan of care. But there's also other things that you might do, right? You might help someone be pushed forward, right? And pushing them um, to a rec activity and sitting with them, maybe spending some time outside. But it would be important to know if the person was on a medication where the sun might bother them and they would need a hat and things like that. So being fully informed. Now, when we're looking at this bill, I would say that, or the policies and procedures, Connecticut is a best practice state. We've moved things forward that look very similar to the bill that we are trying to um, champion and move forward at a federal level. That if for any reason, an essential support person is denied access at the nursing home. So there may be a reason, right? Where they say, no, I'm sorry, even though you are the primary support person, we're not able to give you access at this time. And what might those reasons be? Well, currently, if someone had a fever, right? If they were demonstrating that they might have signs and symptoms of COVID, then they're not able to admit them and allow them to come in and spend time um, with the resident. At that point, the secondary support person should be notified and be given access. We would wanna see that they're given something in writing. You know, we wanna know exactly why that person was not allowed entry and access to the resident. We also wanna make sure that people understand that these are not your typical visitors. We've heard about visitation being um, reopened, that residents should have meaningful access to all visitors. This is a different type of interaction. Um, this is a person that's coming in and supporting the resident in ways beyond just a traditional visit. And this support is essential to the resident's well-being. Um, again, you don't have to have any special designation as a resident to receive an essential support person that everyone should be entitled to this, and it is something that should be included um, in your plan of care. So if someone is denied, again, they should have that in writing, and that once you have that, you can submit the information and the denial to my office, and we could file a complaint with the Department of Public Health if we feel like it was unjust, the reason that you were prevented from having um, access to the resident. I'm just, I'm super excited that this is out. I know that there are family members that have been the champions behind this for uh, going on two years now and really talking about why it's been essential that they had access to um, the residents in our long-term care communities. And we've had, we've been very fortunate here in Connecticut to have residents that were able to vocalize what family and friends do for them in an essential way that staff aren't able to do. And we know that staff are working incredibly hard right now. And many of them are working multiple shifts and up to seven days a week. And so having access to these other people, it's not um, saying that staff aren't important or that staff aren't doing their jobs. It's a different role. And it's the idea of having someone that you choose to do certain things for you maybe even writing a letter, staying in contact with family and friends. There might be private issues or concerns or maybe even banking issues that you don't want to do with staff, that you have someone that you've designated as um, providing that support for you. 
And this is where we think it's important that residents have the ability, right, to have that autonomy and choice and direct what components of their lives happen in what ways and who do those things for them. So for that reason, um, we worked really hard to, one, get the initial bill passed, two, have it signed into law, and now see that these policies and procedures have gone out to all of our long-term care facilities. So that's what I wanted to come on and talk with you about today. If you have questions or concerns related to the essential support person um, and statewide visitation for long-term care facilities, um, blast facts and public notice, please let me know. Um, you can always send us an email or you can call us at 1-866-388-1888. Thank you for listening and we will talk to you soon.